Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. We are looking at the fifth petition in the Lord's Prayer, which the Lord says that we are to ask for forgiveness and extend it to others. And this is a tough topic. I would say that everybody in this room, because of the, the, the lives that we live on a daily, weekly basis, we need to be taught about this topic because there is, I mean, every day there comes up something for which we ourselves need to ask for forgiveness for, but also that we need to be willing to extend it to those who are around us. And surely as we begin to ponder our own guilt and sin in life and how, you know, just how that might even affect you, um, we have to think about that as well. And we'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, we won't linger there, though, because the end of the matter is that because of the gracious God that we serve, we can ask and receive Forgiveness. So that's the direction that I'm going in our sermon today. Our text makes two points. I'm pretty, pretty straight and clear. Two points, both serving uh, as underlying characteristics of forgiveness. And the first is simply this. Anyone who genuinely asks God for forgiveness will be forgiven. Anyone that asks God, genuinely asks God for forgiveness will be forgiven. And so Jesus says that when we come to prayer, we're to come to our Father in heaven that we can call Papa, Abba, and because we need it, we can ask him for forgiveness and forgive us our debts as we forgive uh, our debtors. Uh, perhaps you grew up like I did. I, I didn't grow up as a Christian, but I grew up obviously reciting the Lord's Prayer because I was a uh, uh, a water boy in football, and we prayed the Lord's Prayer on the bus as we were getting ready to go to the games. And I learned this in the King James Version. And so the way I learned it was, uh, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And that's not a wrong uh, use of the word there. Whether you use the word trespass or debt, both are synonymous for uh, the sins that we commit. And that's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about asking for God to forgive us of our sins. That's what he's addressing here. But by using the word debt, I do like that word, what Jesus is bringing up, accenting is one of the, the ways that the Bible speaks of sin. The Bible speaks of sin as a debt. Now, most of us in this room, when we think of the word debt, we're thinking in monetary terms. I am in debt to someone, meaning I owe them principally money. I am uh, I'm in debt to a lender for my mortgage. I am in debt to the bank for this awesome car that, that I might have. I'm, I might be indebted to someone because they did me a favor. And so a lot of times we think of that in monetary terms. When you go to court, the bailiff will stand up and say, all rise, particularly when you go to bankruptcy court, the bailiff will say, all debtors rise. Jesus is modeling prayer realistically, assuming that all of us have debts, but it's not a monetary debt. It's a moral debt. When we sin, we put ourselves in debt to God. We have 
an obligation to God because of our sin. Our books are in the red. If we were to create a ledger between us and God in terms of, you know, our relationship and how we're stacking out, we would be in the negative. We owe God something. And the fact, the fact that the, how the Bible speaks of this is we have uh, an insurmountable debt that we have incurred with God so much so that we would never in this life be able to pay it back. We could never hope to pay it back. And all we can do because of that is to ask for forgiveness. Jesus tells a parable about this in, in Matthew 18. Matthew 18, I'm going to start in verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I'll pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him all the debt. Now, we're going to come back to this this parable at the end of my sermon and actually unpack all of what it's saying. There's a lot here, but particularly here, you got a king, a servant. The servant has amassed a debt. The king decides he wants everybody to pay up. And that servant is woefully um, underprepared to, to do so. What's interesting here is Jesus uses the the term talent. A talent is a monetary term in that day, and it signified 20 years wages. So imagine 20 years of you getting paid. And that's what um, that's what that's not even what this servant owed. He owed 10,000 years worth of that. So here's, here's what Jesus is saying. This servant has a debt that he possibly could never pay. That's the that's the point that Jesus is making. So what does the king do? Well, the servant comes groveling on his knees, begging, pleading with the king to forgive the debt. And the king mercifully actually does that. He forgives such a large debt. And perhaps that should give us a deep appreciation of what Jesus does for us on the cross. Jesus extends mercy to us, or rather, God, through Jesus, extends mercy to us, and he completely wipes our insurmountable debt away. And what do we call that? We call that the gospel. I mean, that's really good news for us. When I come to God and ask for forgiveness, I am coming not on my own marriage. I'm coming because Jesus has been given as a sacrifice in my place for my sin. Jesus pays our debt on the cross. He serves as a sacrifice for us so that God might apply his sacrifice to me and forgive me. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is 1 John 1, 9. I learned this as a navigator at West Point, you know, as a memory verse. Uh, If we confess our sins, he is faithful. He, Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And so, I mean, this this verse is like too good to be true. If I simply confess my sin, I'm just going to like tell Jesus what he already knows, that I've done something wrong. And it says he's going to be faithful and just 
to forgive me. And oh, by the way, he's not just going to forgive me. He's going to cleanse me, not paint me over on the outside and get, make all the, the bad stuff go away. He's going to purify, from, purify me from the inside out and take away all of my unrighteousness. That's what this verse is saying. Folks, this is too good to be true. But here's why it's true. Actually, Jesus actually tell uh, the, the, the gospel writer, John, tells us why it's true as he keeps going in. In first John chapter two, he says we have an advocate with the father and he tells us who the advocate is. Jesus, the righteousness, Jesus, the righteous. Verse two, he is the propitiation for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Big college word propitiation. It means really complex meaning. But very simply, Jesus uh, diverts the wrath of God away from me that I that I am due because of my sin. My sin is an affront to God. Jesus diverts it from me and takes it onto himself. And he does that where on the cross. Too good to be true. And so if you're a Christian, Jesus has advocated for you and is advocating for you. He has absorbed God's wrath in your place for your sin. And that is the starting point that we have to come to when it comes to this idea of forgiveness. We're forgiven in the gospel. What's the gospel? The gospel is good news, good news about Jesus. And among among all the implications of the gospel for us, it primarily is that Jesus comes and he forgives you of your sin. I'm not forgiven because I somehow work hard enough to to make uh, God like me. I'm not forgiven because in a legalistic way, I follow all the rules. I'm not forgiven because like a do-gooder, I'm moral and I just do everything that I'm supposed to do and I do it superlatively. I'm not forgiven because I in any way earn God's favor or have enough money to pay him back. I am forgiven in and of the person and work of Jesus. I can't atone for my own sin. In fact, my sin is such an affront to God. The Bible says it's a crime. God is a just God, a just judge, holier than we could ever imagine. And we owe him a debt because we aren't holy in and of ourselves. In fact, the Bible would go on to say that because of our sin, we're enemies of God. And hopefully what I'm saying helps you understand how good the gospel is. And here's what the gospel tells us. It tells us that my forgiveness comes by faith in me receiving all the Bible says about Jesus. That I receive what the Bible says about Jesus, that I believe in his name and I become not just a child of God, but I am forgiven. That's good news that Jesus lived a perfect life in my place, that he died on the cross in my place for my sin, that Jesus' death was for me, that he received a punishment for sins, a, a, a punishment that was meant for me, that his death was substitutionary, him in my place, that it was a sacrifice, much like what we see in the, we read in the Old Testament, that uh, that a normal person like you and I would bring to the priest an unblemished animal and that animal will be sacrificed. It's blood then used 
uh, to atone for sin. That's what Jesus does for us on the cross. And the testament that God received Jesus as a sacrifice is that after three days of being in the grave, what did, the, what did God the Holy Spirit do? He raised him up. And that same Jesus um, forgives you of your sin. That's the good news of the gospel. That's what God's forgiveness through the gospel offers us freedom from the debt of our sin and our guilt. And and then it's just on top of that, it's like cake and ice cream. I mean, this is like your cheat day, right? He offers us eternal life. And I know many of you know that. I mean, hopefully you hear portions of the gospel in every sermon that we preach from here. But perhaps today it's going to click. Perhaps today you're here and this is what you need to hear about this, this idea of forgiveness, that you personally can be forgiven, that if you confess your sin, that the, the, the just and righteous God of the universe is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin, and he will actually purify you from your unrighteousness. That is, if you genuinely ask for forgiveness. That's what God is offering us. If you're a Christian, here's the thing. This is the gospel truth that's a bedrock for your feet. If you're not a Christian, this, this idea of confessing your sin and asking God for forgiveness is what you do to make you a Christian, a follower of Jesus, a believer in his name. And so what is it that we're doing when we pray to God that he forgives us of our debts? I like what one author says he says, mainly we are um, we are giving up control. And here's the thing about you and me. Naturally, we want to be in control of everything in regards to our lives. Principally, uh, I don't want to, to have to ever approach anybody and ask for forgiveness because that means I'm giving up control. That means I have to I have to be extended mercy. And I don't want to do that. What do I want to do? I want to be able to, to look out at the horizon and say, yeah, Blake, I'll forgive you because what you did was petty. All right. You were stupid for doing it. I forgive you. I want to say, hey, Ted, uh, I'm going to have to think about it for a little bit, but eventually I'm going to get to it. I'm going to forgive you. But you, sir, Mike, I'm going to hold on to this for about a year and then I'll revisit it. I'm probably not going to forgive you. That's what we, I mean, we might not say it to ourselves, but that's really what we do. We want to be in control of who we forgive, when, and how. But here's what Jesus is telling us. We can't really do that. We're not supposed to do that. You ever get a gift from someone? You weren't, you weren't expecting them to give you a gift. And in fact, when you get it, it's like in a nice box, nice wrapping, it's got a bow on it. You open it up. Say it's your birthday. It's Christmas. It's just like a gift that somebody gets just dumped on you for no reason at all. And you open it up and you're like, oh, I love it. I mean, you weren't expecting it and you open it up. Not only do you love it, it's something that you want it. And it's something that you in that moment, you I need this. I've needed this for a long time. But then it dawns on you. Oh, my gosh. If I receive this as they've, as they've given it, then I'm going to owe this person something. I'm going to have to go out and get them a gift because they've got one up on me. And it's going to have to be a good gift. I mean, it's going to have to be an expensive gift. 
Ever, ha ever happened to y'all? I mean, it happens to me sometimes, every once in a while. Here's the thing. None of us want to, there's something in us that we don't want to be outdone in our giving. We particularly don't want um, to be given something for which we can't give something back. And I think uh, commentators would say that's how we treat God. In fact, they would go so far as to say sometimes we actually hate God. Don't get offended by that word. But we reject God because God does the ultimate. God outgives us. In fact, God so far outgives us that there's no way we would be able, able, able uh, ever to ever able to pay him back. What does he do? God gives us Jesus. More than that, he gives us Jesus in a forgiving way. Mark 2. So Mark 2, Jesus comes and he heals a paralytic. This is a funny story for me. Uh, funny in the sense of what these people had to think of to get someone who needed healing to Jesus. I'm going to start reading in verse five in a second. And so Jesus is in his hometown of Capernaum. They've gathered. He's teaching. And there are there's a paralytic just can't walk. And his friends and they're trying to get him to Jesus and they find no way into the crowd. And so what do they do? They go on the roof of wherever, whatever house that Jesus is in and they start tearing off the roof and lower this dude down to get to Jesus. I'm going to start reading in verse five. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. So they were all amazed and glorified, uh, glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. And so this, this story is meant to teach two things. Firstly, the, the divinity of Jesus. And that's really what got the, the religious leaders, particularly the scribes, upset. Here's this man who was equating himself to be God because he said, your sins are forgiven. And they knew that in Scripture, it says no one can forgive sins but God. And so what is Jesus doing without saying the words, I am God? He's basically saying, I'm God. Your sins are forgiven. But here's in, in line with this idea of forgiveness. Here's what I think we can take from uh, this particular story about Jesus healing the paralytic. We are forced to acknowledge our dependency. And that's why I love the, the actions of the par not just the paralytic, but his friends. I can see just like four, you know, four 82nd Airborne Division soldiers like, man, we got to solve this mission and we can't get to Jesus through this crowd because these people are all pressing in. So what are we going to do? We're going to we're going to we're going to repel backwards. We're going to get a rope. We're going to get up to the roof and we're going to tear off this person's roof. I mean, I mean, too bad for that roof. Right. And they lowered him down. That's the faith they had in Jesus. But more importantly, they recognized that there's no way we're going to get this guy healed unless we get him in the presence of Jesus. I got to I got to I'm dependent on Jesus for my very healing. 
I think that's the, 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 the principal point of this story. And, and of course, the other thing that comes out is that Jesus doesn't say you're healed. He says you're forgiven. Sometimes our greatest healing is the spiritual healing that we get of God forgiving us of the debt that we owe him. Here's the thing that I think is, this is the reality for all of us. We're sinners by nature and by choice. There's things that we do that we shouldn't. There's things that we should do that the Bible tells us to obey God that we completely dismiss and we don't do on purpose. And so the reality from a biblical perspective is all of us need forgiveness from the Lord. And because there's nothing in me, nothing in you, nothing in us collectively or individually that can merit God's favor, we are dependent on Jesus, who God sent, who God gave to us on the cross to die in our place for our sin. We absolutely need Jesus. And so we should be thankful that the Bible conveys that in God's gracious nature, he forgives us in Jesus. I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 103. The Lord is, is, is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. This is the graciousness of our God. And notice, this is an Old Testament passage speaking of the God who is and, and was. God is unchanging. And so the God that's compassionate in the Old Testament is just as compassionate in Jesus in the New Testament. And this is, these are his words for us, that he's willing, because of his compassion, to forgive us. And so the first underlying characteristic of forgiveness from this prayer is that anyone who genuinely asks God for forgiveness will be forgiven. Do you need God's forgiveness? Well, I mean, that's a redundant question, right? We, we all need God's forgiveness. But have you actually personally, genuinely asked the Lord of all to forgive you? Here's a second underlying characteristic uh, from this prayer. Is any person who has truly experienced forgiveness through Christ should be willing to extend that forgiveness to others as well. Here's my thought on this. This is where this prayer gets hard. And in fact, it's, it's not just hard, it's kind of dangerous. Because if you are willing to receive forgiveness from God, this is what he's saying, it, 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 it opens you up for. That you should in turn be willing to forgive those who've sinned against you. And that's what makes it hard. In fact, Jesus uh, didn't want us to get confused about this idea, of, this idea of forgiving others, of extending our forgiveness to others. And so he expands the idea a couple of verses down in verse 14. So he says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. And so if we take this verse right here literally, we're, we're doomed. Because here's, here's, if we only forgive, if God only forgives us in the exact proportion and manner that we forgive others, we're in trouble. Because the, 
the, the real truth is we will never be as forgiving as God. There's no way that you and I can be as forgiving as the, the compassionate God that we read about in the Psalms. And so what is Jesus conveying to us about forgiveness here? Let me give you a, a couple ideas. First, he's teaching that we should aspire to reflect the kindness of God, the kindness of God. Specifically, we should be ready to forgive anybody that has sinned against us or offended us when they repent. And I say that humbly. I say that cautiously because I know this is not a trivial thing. Some of us in this room have been sinned against greatly, emotionally, spiritually, physically, perhaps even sexually. And so the thought of forgiving someone that's, that's come into your world and hurt you that deeply is not a trivial thing. But here's what Jesus is telling us. Firstly, us being forgiven by God himself because of the great debt that we have incurred against him, insurmountable debt. You have to put that in the forefront. And then that, recognizing how you've been forgiven by God, should compel you to forgive those who've sinned against you. In other words, it's, a, it's an implication of the gospel. Here's another thing that Jesus is teaching us. He's teaching us to pray that we'd feel such gratitude to God for the release of our own guilt and shame and that that we would in turn be more than willing to forgive those who sin against us. That whatever um, whatever someone else has done to me would pale in comparison to what God has delivered me from and forgiven me for. Again, part of the overflow of the gospel in my life is evidenced by me being willing to forgive. Now, do we do that perfectly? None of us in this room will ever do that perfectly. But it's a gospel issue. A person that's been forgiven will have the life characteristics of being willing and able to forgive others. It's almost like the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians 5, Jesus is teach, um, um, Paul is teaching um, the church at Galatia about what it looks like to walk as a Christian. He calls it, to, I mean, live life as a Christian. He calls it walking in the spirit. And he shows us two comparisons. He says, all right, so walking as a Christian in the spirit does not look like this. And he gives a long list of things that we should not do. And then starting in verse 22 or verse five, he says, and so this is what it looks like to be a Christian, to walk in the spirit. He says, it's love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and um, gentleness and self-control. And, and then he makes this comment. He says, against these, there's no law. There's, there's nothing that can contend with these. And I'm, and I'm, I'm not saying that forgiveness is a fruit of the Spirit. That, I mean, forgiveness is a salvific doctrine, all right? We need God's forgiveness to, to be in, to, to receive the Spirit. And it's at that point that the Spirit works in us to manifest all the fruit of the Spirit. But I think it works the same way. What is, an, what is the evidence of um, the gospel working in you, the gospel of salvation working in me? It's my, my willingness to ask for forgiveness, first to God and then to others. But it's also my willingness to extend forgiveness to those who've sinned against me, even those who have sinned against me in, in ways that I don't even want to talk about. I think it's also important to note the plural here. Um, this is forgive us, forgive us our debts. 
And so there's an idea that, I mean, we're all in this together. One commentator says, we're conditioned to think of sin as a personal problem, a private slip up. Yet the most interesting sins we commit are utterly corporate and communal. And then he gives an example of this. The most heinous example in America's history is with slavery. And then he says this, outside of forgiveness, we'll forever be marred by that. I mean, think about that. What's the remedy to uh, all the leftover junk that slavery in America has left on the, you know, the, the plight of our country? The ramifications that we experience even now in the divisions of white and black and red and yellow and all the other um, ethnicities that we have in our country? It, forgiveness is the issue, right? Because what you have here is you have, um, you have this action that was done back in the, uh, uh, the transatlantic slave trade, uh, an action that there's nothing that we can do to paint it over to make it right. There was so much wrong done that there's nothing right that can cover it over to make it right. And so when you have something that can't be made right, how do you make it right? We can't, we can't brush it aside. We've tried, right? You can't rewrite the history books because there's people who, I mean, there's, it's, it's in, if you're a person of color, this is in you. Like you grow up living this out. And of course, if you're a person, if you're a majority person here, a Caucasian primarily, then you know what you know or you don't even know it. And so how do we move on? This author here suggests forgiveness. There has to be a willingness on both sides to forgive and to, and to receive forgiveness. To forgive and receive forgiveness. Perhaps, he says, one of the most extraordinary signs of God's grace is the willingness of African Americans in our country to be willing to even seek reconciliation from those who are Caucasian. That African-Americans come into and remain Christians in America is a miracle of God, given that blacks were told in the slavery days that Christianity justified slavery. You all know that? I mean, have you read that in a history book? That, that the common belief was that a slave, a, a black, an African, could not be a Christian. I mean, they, that, that that was their lot in life because of their, the, the color of their skin. And so what's the true remedy? I don't have a remedy. This is a complex issue for our country. It persists. But I think unless both sides are willing to forgive, forgive, confess sin, and then receive forgiveness, we'll be, we'll be this way in, in perpetuity. And so in this Lord's Prayer, Jesus is teaching that we should pray to be forgiven our debts so that we can then be true forgivers, because the one who's experienced forgiveness is the best one to forgive. The one who has experienced forgiveness is the one best to forgive. But the reality is that there's not a person in this room, there's no Christian that's ever lived that completely gets this, gets this, gets this right. Let's turn back to Matthew 18. Now, interestingly, this, this parable that Jesus teaches starts with Peter, the apostle Peter, coming to Jesus with an issue. We don't know if Peter is making this up, if it's just like he's suggesting just to get Jesus talking about the issue of forgiveness or if Peter actually had a problem. So Peter says, hey, Jesus, um, let me turn to Matthew 18. 
So he, says, he comes up and says, hey, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me? Now, you know, obviously, Peter has a brother that was an apostle, right? Andrew. So Peter might have been having a problem with his own brother or the brother could be a Christian brother. But he's saying very casually, I mean, how many, how many times should I forgive my brother if he offends me? And Jesus basically comes to Peter and says, Peter, you are a fool. Right. I mean, you just say what you think. Right. And then he says, it's not just seven times, but it's 70 times seven. And then we hit that passage that we talked about with the king and the slave. I'm going to pick it up in verse 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii and seizing him. He began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So that fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I'll pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Verse 34. And in his anger... His master delivered him to the jailers until they until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And so we have the issue of of Peter introducing this idea of forgiveness and saying, how many times should I simply forgive someone that offends me? And Jesus answers, it's not just seven times, but it's 70 times seven. Basically, the, the number is not uh, a monetary number, but he's saying, I mean, it's, it's, it's unending. You should do it for as often as it's needed. Think of how many times God has forgiven you. And then the latter half of the, the, um, the parable, Jesus shows the actions of this servant, this servant who had an insurmountable debt with a king, and the king wipes it away. He just forgives him of this debt. And so what does the servant do? You would think that the servant, because of the mercy that he has been shown, would do likewise to those who are his peers that owe him that same debt. In fact, what, what, what you should pay attention to is the monetary um, terms that the, 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 the text uses. First, we have the talents, which is uh, 10,000 talents is what that guy owed, insurmountable debt. And then here's what the, the fellow servant owed the other servant. He says, a denarii, denarii. A denarii is one day's wage. It's like an unlikely comparison, right? So you think that this servant, based upon the mercy that he has been shown, would show the same kind of mercy to those who were in the same plight that he, that he had, right? Mm-mm. And sometimes we don't either. I think verse 35 is the key. Here's what Jesus says. We have to be willing to forgive from our hearts. Forgiveness is a heart issue. I think the, the, the text is telling us back in the Lord's Prayer that there's, there's some mechanical nature to, to forgiveness, that we should actually come and because we've confessed our sin and received it from God, we should also, as commanded, forgive those who sinned against us. But the real issue comes down to a heart issue. And you can express all kind of mantras, but only God, the Holy Spirit, can change your heart. And so we should be praying, Lord, change my heart. Lord, change my heart. Because I, I know what I should do, but my heart's not there. Lord, change my heart. Paul says this in Ephesians 32, be kind to one another, 
tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Colossians 3.12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. One writer says this, our forgiveness begins as a response to our being forgiven. It is it's not so much an act of generosity towards our fellow offending human beings as an act of gratitude to our forgiving God. I mean, those are good words. It, it is good to be generous and forgiving to those who've offended you. But he comes at it from the perspective of. So so here's the. Here's really where your forgiveness falls. You should be in gratitude to God who has forgiven you. And out of gratitude to that gracious God, you should then be forgiving. We should be in the habit of seeking forgiveness and extending it. And that, again, is the evidence of the gospel working out in your life. You've been forgiven much. And people who are forgiven much are those who can go off and then forgive others. Here's the, the main idea from our prayer. In prayer, we must frequently, we should frequently request forgiveness from God and frequently extend that forgiveness to others. Amen? I'm not done. All right, let's apply this. I want to apply this for us. And I think the best way to apply it is, um, it's not by just telling you what you should do, but... I think there are some issues with forgiveness that trip many of us up. Like we have questions about things. And I thought through a few questions that I've lived through and perhaps some of you have. And I just want to introduce them and sort of suggest, based upon some of the scriptures that we've looked at today, the direction that you should take in this idea of forgiveness. And here's the first one. What if I feel too guilty to ask for forgiveness? So maybe here today. And you, I mean, you've, you've sinned like very freely. I mean, you've got some, you got some miles under your belt of, of sin just stacked up. I would say all of us in the same, same boat. Just some of us are, some of us realize it more than others. But what I'm getting at here is perhaps you say to yourself, you know, you don't know what I've done. Perhaps you say to yourself, you don't know how messed up I am. Or here's one that I've said to myself often. I just can't forgive myself for what I've done. Perhaps you've said that. And I want to give you just a perspective, first theologically and then experientially. Theologically, here's the thing. The Bible does, there's nowhere in the Bible that it tells you as a command from God that you need to forgive yourself. Okay, I I know that we feel like we need to, that we need to feel better about ourselves. And I want to leave room for that. You do want to feel like you are doing the right thing, moving in the right direction. But to... To wait for yourself to be able to forgive yourself is to nullify the forgiveness that God gives. So if God says you're forgiven through Jesus because of his sacrifice on the cross and you're saying, I I, I know God is forgiving, but I can't forgive myself. Then you're putting your own forgiveness above the forgiveness that God gives. And that's wrong. All right. So I don't know. Ask God to help you with that one. But here's the thing experientially. I don't know what you've done, but, but here's what I'm convinced of in the Bible. Jesus does. Jesus knows what you've done. And the gospel comes into play here. And here's what the gospel tells us. Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. That's it. And so if you're here today and you feel guilty about some sin that you committed, such that you can't even forgive yourself, here's what I would tell you. God knew what you were going to do before you did it. He also knew what you were going to do before he told Jesus to go to the cross. And Jesus complied. And here's what Paul would say in, in Romans 6. He would say the grace of God is greater than any sin you'll ever commit. And so... Receive his forgiveness and prayerfully move on. Here's another question. What if I don't want to forgive someone else who sinned against me, but I know I should? I just don't want to forgive them, but I know because I've read the Bible. Someone's told me I know I should. And this, could, this, this is a broad spectrum. It could be something as trivial as my coworker said something really mean to me, and I don't want to forgive them, but I know I should. It could be a spat with a sibling. It could be my parent who's restrictive. It could be as heinous as someone sexually abusing me. I know I should forgive them, but I just can't bring myself to do it. And the first thing I would say to you is, first, I mean, at least you know it. So you, you are, you're dealing with Scripture, and I think the, if you know you should forgive, but you're having trouble getting over the hump of doing it, that means the Holy Spirit is at work in you. I like this. This comes from, comes from Paul Tripp and a bunch of other people. Um, forgiveness is a process, not an event. That means if, I mean, you, can't just, you don't need to just think that you have to snap your fingers three times, and that's it, that I should be over this. Sometimes... Um, for, I mean, the, the sin that people sin against us hurts. It's not inconsequential. And God doesn't treat it as such. And so if there's a sin that someone's committed against you, you know you should forgive them, but you just can't, then I would say let the process work. Mechanically, do what God says to do. Say in your prayers, Lord, I'm having a tough time. I know I'm supposed to forgive this person. And so I, I say it audibly with my mouth. I forgive them for what they did. But Lord, would you help me? Would you help me to take what I know in my head is your will, because your Bible says it, and help it get to my heart so that I'm actually over it? And I think that would be freeing for you. Here's a third question. What if someone sinned against me, but they don't want forgiveness? That's a tough one, because, I mean, it's in us as Christians to reconcile. At least it, hopefully it is in you to, to reconcile with people who have um, sinned against you. And again, I think we should pray and ask God to work in both of your hearts. But the bottom line is this. As we're seeking reconciliation, we can't make someone else want it. And I think that's the, the corporate nature of this prayer. And so uh, God is going to get reconciliation, but sometimes that reconciliation doesn't happen on the earth. And so our great hope is that one day there's not going to be conflicts between people because Jesus is going to he's going to take away all that stuff. He's going to come again and make all the wrongs that we commit and that, that are happening in our world. He's going to take them away and there's going to be uh, perfect harmony between those. And so I would say seek forgiveness if you can. Seek reconciliation if you can. Um, but uh, to free yourself, articulate it to God, Lord, I want to make this right, but I can't. Um, so would you work in their heart and I leave it to you. And of course, the, 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 pre, the, the, the beginning parts of Matthew 18 deals with conflict between two persons. And it says, hey, if, if a person won't listen to you, go get another friend. If they won't listen to you and another friend, take it to the church. That's what the church is for. It's called church discipline. Here's a fourth one. Almost done. 
What do I do if someone repeatedly asks for forgiveness but repeatedly sins against me? Repeatedly asks for forgiveness and repeatedly sins against me. Of course, this happens in our families all the time, doesn't it? Like, we're always offending each other. And, I mean, I got a simple answer for you. This is the, this is the least popular of the answers. It's the answer Jesus gave Peter. It's not just seven times. It's 70 times seven. It's, I mean, think of how many times God forgives you on a daily basis for the things that you have done. And that's the measure that you need to, you know, get to a, you know, head to heart of asking the Lord to help you deal with. Last one. What if my circumstances don't allow me to extend forgiveness? And this could be as simple as someone cut me off in traffic and I wanted to give them the finger and I just, you know, it's like, ah. Or it could be as serious as I was offended, I was sinned against, I was abused by someone in my family, someone close to me, and that person is dead now, and I can't reconcile the relationship like I want to. What do you do in that case? Again, I think um, if, if there's no way for you to physically come in proximity to the person because they're gone or it happened in a spurious moment or the person is dead, then you, you articulate that to God. And say, Lord, I want to make this right just for my own heart's sake. And you trust that the Lord is, you confess your sin. He's going to be faithful and just to forgive you and then cleanse you. That means he's taking what I feel is a wrong that I have maybe have initiated or someone done against me, taking it out of you and handing it over to him. And I think you'll, I mean, it's, there's just something freeing about articulating the sins that we've committed, but also extending forgiveness to God. Uh, to, to someone else, to God, even if we can't be in proximity to that person. Is um, that helpful? I mean, we can keep going. Let me conclude with this. Worship team, come on up. Um, I would hope that, I mean, this is a cursory treatment of, of forgiveness. One of the mega themes in the Bible. And so there's a lot more that we definitely should say, but there's not time to say it. But in, 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 in the sense of the Lord's Prayer, here's the thing to, to, to know. Um, Forgiveness is not a trivial thing. And you forget you being forgiven by God, but also you extending forgiveness to other people is not inconsequential. It takes a lot of courage for you when you've been sinned against to, to be willing to forgive someone else. I think likewise, it takes a little bit of courage to even come to God and, you know, acknowledge, all right, Lord, I've messed up. I've just, I've messed up royally. And I know you know it because you know everything. And can you make the wrong that I've done right? Forgiveness isn't natural, someone said. But I think that's why he told us to pray about it. You know, because we don't always get it right. We don't always understand it. But I think that's why we're here as a church. Uh, that's, why we, that's why God created the church, so that as we practice relational thing called community, doing the one another's of Scripture, we would be reminded, even as we come together on Sunday morning, that we are the forgiven. We're forgiven of God. And because we've been forgiven by a gracious, great God, it should in turn, in our hearts, Make us willing to forgive those who are around us. So let's be those forgiving people. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. 
thank you for this difficult topic of forgiveness. Lord, we don't get this right. We get it wrong sometimes every day. So I pray that you cover the gaps. Firstly, Lord, I pray for those here today who perhaps have never expressed faith in Jesus. They don't know what it feels like to be forgiven of their sins. God, would you bring them to a knowledge of the person and work of Jesus and the great work that he does in his life, living it perfectly in our place for our sin. But more importantly, the sacrificial substitutionary death that he lives, that he uh, died for us on the cross. That was a, a, a death that forgives us of our sin and that reconciles us to God the Father. It wasn't inconsequential. It caused our God much pain to give his son on the cross. And I pray that you would grant salvation to those in this room, even today, as they confess their sins to Jesus. To, to Jesus. Save a soul today because they've, they're willing to ask for forgiveness. For the rest of us, Lord, just help us to to be more committed to this, that we would see forgiveness as both a, a, a get to, but a have to. This is a gospel issue for us. It's an implication of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. I pray particularly for those who harbor unforgiveness because of just heinous sins done to them. Lord, I pray that you would work in all of our hearts to help us see and, and then appreciate the, the, the great, just the gratitude of a God who we have um, mounted up an insurmountable debt to. And because of that, through that, we would, in our hearts, be able to extend that to others. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.